Hey everybody, welcome to The Stoop. So I grew up in a small American town, and much like any other town around the country, we were surrounded by friends and family. We had our schools and churches, and local mom and pop shops. There was the local characters and criminals and busybodies, and we all kind of knew each other's business. And rather than gathering on the front porch, we gathered on our stoops. See, this little small town was hidden in a far-off corner of a giant city. And although it seems like an ancient age, my memories are quite clear. So sit back and let me tell you the tales of my days and my crazy times on those stoops of Atlantis. Just as Han Solo commented about his journey from one end of the galaxy to the other, I have often commented about life among the stoops. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but it also goes for the skies above the stoops of Atlantis. I've always loved things in the sky. Anything, you know, birds, stars, bugs, planes, the moon. What I love most were the UFOs, and I saw many of them as a youth in East Harlem. And UFOs don't always mean disc-shaped alien craft with glass bubbles and green-faced occupants with antenna, a.k.a. like, you know, the Brady Bunch. So you're the UFO. Isn't that kind of a dirty trick? I was just getting even with those two creeps for telling Mom and Dad I got home late Saturday night. Well, it's still a dirty trick. Let me show you. I strung up a piece of fishing line over the arbor between those trees. Then I hit a clear plastic curtain behind one of the trees. Then I just flashed this red light on it, blow this whistle, and presto, instant UFO. Peter, the UFO! I see it! Hurry up, take pictures! We live close to LaGuardia Airport. Well, close as a crow flies, or, or a 737. And we seem to live right in the flight path of the landing strip. Planes flew over constantly, and, and some were low. I mean, I mean, really low. I've seen a couple that I swore were going to snap the cross off the top of Holy Rosary steeple with their landing gear. The sound would roar closer and closer, and when I heard a particularly thunderous jetliner approach, I would race to the back door and look up hoping to catch the sight of that silver beauty soaring above. And there were a few times I could clearly see the windows, and, and once I was sure some guy waved back at me. Drive the new Goodyear Steel Guard radio and get the five guard feeling of confidence. Only from Goodyear. Before we had video games that locked us under sunless ceilings, we knew boredom, and boredom could have its benefits. Sitting on a lazy summer day on the stoop, sucking on a melting Rex Italian ice and just not up to another game of stoop ball or scullies, the sight of the Goodyear blimp floating silently over Pleasant Avenue was as good as it got. If not for boredom, this would be a non-event. But for us kids, the sight of this giant silver spaceship that looked like it's from a 50s movie 
would send our hearts racing and our feet moving as we ran along the street, next craning like a, like a crane, following it until it vanished beyond the projects to the north. And if this happened at night, with the technical display of Crayola lights beaming its message of peace and advertising to us, well, it was almost as good as a Mr. Softy truck. It was late summer, sunset. The sky over the west side was blushing pink and purple, and the buildings glowed with a magic hour of fire. We were hanging on my stoop. Me, Joe, and my, my dad was there as well. I thought it was a plane with a pluming contrail glowing in sunlight, but soon realized the object was a blaze. It was a fireball. Look at that, I pointed. I'm glad I had two witnesses because I don't think anyone would have believed what I saw. It was a very large ball of flame streaking across the East Harlem sky. How large the actual stone was that had penetrated the atmosphere is unknown. Maybe softball size? Spaldine? See, most meteors are just grains of sand. This one, however, made the news that night. Apparently, others were looking skyward and many police stations that night got reports of alien craft being shot down. It was just a big fireball meteor, and we were lucky enough to see it that night. Everything's ready here on the dark side of the moon. Play the five tones. It was a similar situation on another summer night. Not sure exactly when, but there we were again on the stoop. Sun going down and the sky was turning into raspberry and orange sherbet. I just happened to glance across 118th Street. The patch of sky far, far west was glowing brilliantly when two objects, coming from opposite directions, collided and a ball of fire followed by a rain of burning debris fell in what seemed like slow motion. I shouted and pointed and my dad and I believe my cousin Joe turned in time to see it. This was not some cool meteoric fireball, nor was it distant fireworks. The news later that night told a tragic story. Two private planes had collided over the Hudson River. That's something I wish to see again. Nighttime held the greatest mysteries in the sky. We had a little slice of the cosmos over our backyard. That meant we could see some pretty good stars when the yard light was unplugged. And if you were patient and stared, you'd see shooting stars. Even better were those silent lights that would float across the sky. No blinking red tail lights, no propellers chopping the air. They were silent, small like stars. They were unidentified, flying, and they were objects. They were UFOs and I saw them regularly. My dad said they were satellites. I wasn't so sure. Yeah, there was that one night when Skyweb flew over. My dad and I pointed it out to the wise guys on the avenue. Go all the way back to episode one of the Stoops of Atlantis for that full story. But these things were mysterious. It was their silence that sparked my imagination. And I wondered why do so few people look up at the sky? Did anyone else see these things? And whether or not they were craft piloted by an advanced alien race, or a bunch of E.T. teens joyriding in a stolen UFO, it didn't really matter much. My imagination was tweaked, and my devious nature. And there was only one person to partner with when the devil was whispering in my ear. Joe. We should fool the block, pull a UFO hoax, I had said to him one day. I had an issue of Fantastic Four, and it was folded open to an ad. An ad for a hot air-powered spacecraft from another world. Well, it was a hot air balloon, but forget semantics. We could spruce it up with those LED lights and a little battery pack, launch it from the backyard and let it drift over the street. Chaos would ensue. It would make the news. NASA would send teams to investigate. I would meet them and get a job as an astronaut. It would be great. And it was a caper. And if there was a caper in the air, Joe was there. 
we agreed this was to be kept secret, top secret, ultra secret, royal secret. Hell, like Roswell in Area 51, this was right up there. This was majestic secret level operation. So we had a meeting to discuss how we would set this up. No one else would be privy, could be privy. We divided up the duties. Joe ordered the UFO. He was a good model maker. And he was very good with detail work. My job with the lights. Now, my dad used to teach electronics when he was in the Air Force. He always had a knack for wiring and circuits. What the secret project needed was a string of LED lights that would flash and run like a train across tracks around the circumference of the craft. He always had these little project kits in the basement and cardboard boxes, and there were bags of LED lights and switches and circuit boards that did who knows what. You see, you have to remember, this, this was the late 70s. Today, I could go on Amazon and not only order strings of thousands of LED lights that could flash into three billion patterns, but I bet if I look carefully, I'm sure I could order a fully functioning UFO, complete with little green aliens. But we had more primitive materials to work with back then. So I asked my dad, in theory, how would somebody, if they needed to for, for some reason, not sure why, but just what if, string lights so they could blink and flash and transmit a Morse code that says, hurt people, you are doomed, or something like that. Or it would just blink on and off, that would do. So my dad tells me the circuit's pretty easy and he might even have one down in the basement. He asked me how many LEDs would I need. I thought for a moment and said, maybe 300? What are you making, your own Goodyear blimpy ass laughing? Well, maybe less. What do you need it for? Could I include him in on the secret? I mean, he had been in the military. He even worked for Sperry Rand Corporation and they had all kinds of secret government contracts. Yeah, I was sure I could trust him with it. Me and Joe are making a UFO. Oh, okay. My dad always encouraged projects. I mean, any good parent would. If your kids are building clubhouses or UFOs, they're probably not munging kids and planning bank heists. Do you, do you need that many, he asked? Well, I had to think about that. Heck, I haven't even seen the craft yet. Joe, I just ordered it. The lights would have to wait. So Joe and me would have secret talks about how we would pull off our stunt. We didn't even tell Scott or Christopher. We knew it would be at night. We would inflate it in the backyard under cover of darkness. Then on a guideline, let it rise, the lights flashing, and send it over the rooftops. But we would then have to rush to the fire escape, get up onto the roof fast enough so we can control its flight path. Plus, we'd have a perfect view of the mass hysteria we would cause. We would film it. We needed to film this. I would buy some Super 8 film for my camera. Yeah, this was going to be historic. Days later, Joe called me over the wall in the backyard. I rushed out, making sure that the coast was clear. He whispered, I got it. The UFO? I asked. Yep. I started assembling it, and I have a great idea for a way to inflate it. We can test it later. Great, I said. The first test was about to happen. This, of course, was ultra-secret as well, even though it would take place under the open skies of our yard. So that night, Joe called me after sundown and after my dinner. I hopped the wall, and Joe led me to the yard that neighbored his. The lady that lived in that building had allowed Joe's dad, and and later Joe himself, to plant vegetables in the open expanse of soil, because she never used it. So I was led to the rear of the yard beyond a wall of overgrown tomato plants. Joe had assembled a pile of wood and campfire formation. Atop that was a tube he formed from a sheet of thick aluminum. Lying out on the ground was a folded white paper object about six feet long, the UFO. The fire was lit, and soon very hot air and smoke was billowing out of the top of the aluminum chimney. Now was the real test. We lifted the paper UFO and pulled in opposite directions, revealing its oblong shape. There was a circular opening at the bottom. We needed to hold that over the tube, but away from the flames so the thing didn't do a Hindenburg on us. I recalled my hands burning from the very hot air, and soon this tall, wobbling sphere formed as it filled to capacity with hot air. 
We can feel the pull as it tried to go airborne. And we looked at each other and nodded. We let it go. Up, up it went, like some bizarre jellyfish, dancing and wiggling in the wind. But we had forgotten to tie a line on it. The wind grabbed it, and very quickly it drifted west, up past my crabapple tree, and up towards the top of the church roof where it crashed. And it descended down, scraping the facade of brick, landing in a tangle in the giant stink tree. It looked like a dead ghost. We rushed over fence and wall and up the tree and carefully rescued it. It was torn, partially burnt, a mess, very, very un-spaceship from another world. We decided our plan needed to get back to the drawing board. But at that age, there are too many other plots, plans, games, and mischief to get into. Operation Alien 118 was filed away for our memories, and it would be relegated to just another tale to tell about the strange things on and above the stoops of Atlantis. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Please make sure to go to rupertstarbright.com and drop me a line. Tell me what you think of the podcast and spread the word. Until next time.